this is going to be fun tonight. We'll let uh, always get go a few minutes here. Let people come in. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we have a nice crowd tonight. Um, here lately, we've really had some good uh, Q and A with the, the the audience. So that's what I really like. Um, so, but if we don't get any Q and A, that's fine. We'll uh, we'll do whatever we we got going on here. So let's get started. Um, giddy up. Let's go. Guys, you are in for a treat tonight. We have a group of cowboys here, uh, Farm Bioferts, and we're going to hear all about them. And I want to start with Michael Bidito. Michael, please tell us where you are, and I want you to answer uh, a question for me. What is on Michael's mind right now? Sure. So my name is Michael Bidito. I'm a uh, mid mid thirties over here. I'm in Southeast Iowa, uh, primarily corn and soybeans. I also have about 50 head of cattle, uh, hundred percent no-till for, I don't know, 40 plus years or whatever it's been. And, awesome. and, uh, cover crops for the last hundred percent for the last three or four or something like that. Uh, primarily cereal rye. So yeah, Southeast <laughs> Iowa. Um, yeah. So for me, what's on my mind right now is obviously harvest. We're just kind of getting our toes dipped into the water on harvest right now, Corn, getting ready for corn harvest. Uh, everything's still a little bit too wet, so we're going to go ride dirt bikes this weekend while things dry down a little bit. It's going to be a little bit weird, but that's okay. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, I guess what's actually on my mind is, uh, you know, just watching, watching how how our cover crop fields are finishing out the year compared to some non-cover crop fields and, and whatnot and, and trying to gain as much, uh, gain as much knowledge and learn, learn as much as we can going into next season. I know we've had a lot of challenges this year with dry weather and as the other guys here have as well. So yeah, just trying to learn as much from that as we can, uh, both from the yield monitor and just observations from the road. So I'll shut yeah. them down. Let someone else talk. No, that's that's perfect. Thanks, Michael. Um, let's go, just go right to Vance. Vance, um, please tell us who you are, where you are, and what is on your mind right now. Hey, so I'm Vance. I'm the only Nebraskan on here. I'm in southwest Nebraska, about 60 miles from the Colorado border and about uh -huh. 100 miles from the Kansas border. Okay. Um, we farm irrigated corn and soybeans mostly and on our dry land we have more diversity there corn uh soybeans wheat uh milo and uh i also raise some cover crops for seed and i i have a cover crop seed business also where i you know buy and resell cover crops um on my mind is rain we just haven't had any here since we started out real good and mm. uh it's been dry here since probably middle of july mm. first part to the middle of july so, you know, some of our cover crop stuff on, on non-irrigated is looking pretty sick. Yeah, um, but, it doesn't work uh, very well. No, and uh, we're just kind of getting started in harvest. We've been doing wet corn for several weeks. And soybeans are just now turning. So, yeah, I guess just on my mind, we, we just really need some rain out here. So Yeah, this has, been, this has been one of the freakiest growing seasons I've ever experienced in my lifetime of farming. It's just, it's just nuts this year. So Vance, you've got to be close to Imperial, Nebraska. I'm guessing. 
Yes. Yep. Actually, I graduated high school from Imperial. Yep. There you go. Yeah, I, I was there not long ago. It was about a year ago. I was out there uh, helping some folks out out in that neck of the woods. So, yeah, I know right where you're at. Kyle yep. Schnell, you're next on my screen. Uh, tell us uh, where you are, what you're doing, and what's on Kyle's mind right now. Gotcha. Uh, Central Iowa, just east of Des Moines, right on Interstate 80. Okay. Um, play around with corn, soybeans, alfalfa, buckwheat, cereal rye, oats. Um, was about 700 acres organic, and I had a big, uh, and it was all no-till like you, wreck, and had a big mishap this year. Um, the corn that I planted on a couple hundred acres had the wrong seed treatment on it and had fungicide on it and kicked me out of all those acres. So I'm down to a hundred oh. acres organic now. Oh, yeah. Oh no. So it did. Okay. So if you don't mind, I'm going to stop you right there, Kyle. So just, just the acres that, that, that had the curveball on it are out, but and the rest of the farm's okay. Right. Okay. And I lost a couple. Um, I had, a hundred acres that my local co-op spread synthetic fertilizer on accident that kicked out those. Um, I tried planting some corn into some rye alfalfa, um, and the alfalfa was just coming back after I crimped it a couple times and was just out competing yeah. the corn. I needed my crop insurance to survive financially, and my uh, crop insurance adjuster came out. It was like, if you spray it off, you can get your old APH back. So that was another 160 acres. Mm -hmm. So then I had almost 400 and some, and then 300 of it got um, kicked out this year. Oh, my gosh. With that mishap. So, so very, you, very you, frustrating. Oh, that's that's horrible. So do you do you think you'll come back into the organic or are you just going to you're just going to let it go? What are you thinking? Well, I still got a hundred acres um, that uh, I'm going to play around with. There's another hundred I want to bring back in that's flat ground. The hill stuff around here, I think I'll probably keep in regenerative. Yeah. Um, get that soil functioning a lot better before I dive back in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's. A I great... don't know. It was a big undertaking taking that many acres at once and just diving into it for me. Well. So, and we need to talk about that later, Kyle, because that you, what that's a very good point there. You, we've got to be, you know, get your soils right and get everything right, and then let's move back in. I love that approach. Yeah, and Luna and I kind of talked about a question, kind of, we'll bring it up later, but what's on my mind was a test that I wanted to figure out this year. Um, sap testing, bricks text, or bricks, having high bricks, seeing what the yield could come to. Yeah. But on my Heggy sprayer, my front two legs, well, one of them snapped off and I went for a wild ride. That took all summer to get that Heggy fixed, dealing with insurance on that. Then I tore my ACL. So this whole year has just kind of been 20. a wash. For, yeah, just a wash for me. And uh, that's, what it, that's what's on my mind yet going into next year is still maximizing sap testing, and uh, continuing to figure out how to get that high bricks. Um, there's a few things that I did this year that uh, got the bricks a jump, I think five points just with one spray. 
And uh, my sap testing is starting to curve in the right direction. We can talk about that later as well, but that's what's on my mind. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So uh, basically 2023 sucked basically. I've had a couple hard years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, that, that stinks. And, but I also appreciate Kyle, your positives. You're still positive. You're hanging your head high. That's, that's a, that's a testament. So keep up the good work. I know it's been a, it's been a terrible struggle, but um, keep moving forward. That's all we can do. Um, Mr. Gibbs, what's on, what's on your mind? Where are you at in the world? What's happening? Uh, Ryan Gibbs. I'm from Northeast Iowa. I, I'm about 10 miles from the field of dreams. So that's an easy way to tell people where I'm from. Everybody knows where the field of dreams is. Dyersville. So yeah, uh, in Eastern Northeast Iowa growing, uh, corn, both, um, traditional full stack corn and non-GMO corn. Uh, soybeans, buckwheat, cereal rye for seed production, a little bit of alfalfa. We got a few thousand pigs, and then we also got some pasture-raised pigs, and then we got some cattle we rotational graze. Um, Then I also own a cover crop seed business, grow Mm. some seed, um, sell a lot of seed. We do custom application services. Uh, Been busy right now drilling in between rains. I'm not getting the rain, but everybody around me is getting rain, and so my custom drilling jobs are getting rained out. So we're hoping to start harvesting here by the first of next week. Now that's good. That's great. So what, what's on your mind, Ryan? So I knew you were going to ask this question, and all day long I was thinking about epigenetic. All right. Here we go. And I say that because I'm looking at my cereal rye that we've been keeping seed back. It's a VNS cereal rye, and our yields keep going up. Mm-hmm. And I sold some seed that I grew to a neighbor guy and he had phenomenal yields like over 80 bushel cereal rye seed and he'd never gotten that growing elbon you know and then i'm starting to read stuff on guys that are keeping or not keeping but they are planting corn that is grown in the same geography that they farm and they're seeing the same results it's like that seed is putting off or that plant is putting off seed and it's accustomed to that environment right so i was thinking about that all day like man, I need to start sourcing seed that's grown in my same geography, you know, corn and beans and, you know, buckwheat, whatever else we do, because it's, it's working with cereal rice. So, you know, there's got to be something to it. And so, yeah, that's what's been on my mind all day. Well, Along that's great. Other things. <laughs> well, that's great, Ryan. But, you know, what makes you valuable then for your area is you, you can, you can, if you're sourcing those cover crops from your farm, then, you know, move them to other people and that, and you're accomplishing that epigenetics that you're talking about. So yeah, that's great. All right. We're saving the best for last here. Good Myla, you don't, don't do not hold this short. Now tell us who you are, what you've done and what is on your mind today, right now. Hi, my name is Luda. It's short for Ludmilla Sharma. And I'm here because in January, um, Kyle and other guys here um, convinced us to start a Facebook uh, community called Farm Made um, by Efforts with the idea, and we're all admin team in this community, with the idea to make um, indigenous practices of uh, making biological fertilizers. 
discussed there and uh, support people who are doing it and um, troubleshoot some of our experiments that didn't go so well. And we were lucky to meet um, um, people like Kobe Gaia, who you probably know in organic conference uh, area. He talks about uh, Korean natural farming and Kyle has done a lot of it. So I'm learning a lot from Kyle and from Kobe and from <clears throat> Matthew Kyle, who is our Jadam master and lots of other people who introduced us to this world. Like I came, we started it because Kyle made us, <laughs> um, knowing very little, but um, I was posting what I tried, but then it just exploded. The people mm -hmm. started sharing what they've tried, what worked for them. Um, it has been very interesting and humbling um, for me. Um, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm an expat from Odessa, Ukraine, um, where I was born and grew up. I came to US to do my PhD at the Ohio State University. Um, I do um, custom genomics analysis and transcriptomics and epigenomics, mostly for biomedical field, but a little bit also for um, um, in ecological setting mm -hmm. for biodiversity assessment. And what's in my mind, I'm very curious, Lauren told me that um, Eureka went to DC and I just can't get it out of my mind. What what did you do? What happened? What Say that again. Lauren, Lauren mentioned that you went to uh, Washington DC this week. Oh, oh. Well, we can talk. We can talk about that later. But uh, there's got to be something on your mind. I mean, what what's what's running around your your brain box there? Um. So when we talked about you going to Washington DC, I I mentioned that um, I was happy that um, the agricultural minister of Germany finally admitted that um, by importing synthetic nitrogen from Russia, they're funding the war, the invasion uh, into my homeland, into Ukraine. And finally, they got to realize it. And um, he said it publicly, which means he's going to do something about it, which made me very happy because we tried to talk to him, but we never got to. But we talked to an intern that helps his assistant. Mm -hmm. and somehow it got through, which is like amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been just very happy about that. And that's why I've been wondering what are you up to on the hill? Because sometimes it seems like it's quixotic and nothing happens for a long time. But, you know, all you can do is plant the seed and uh, you never know what can grow out of it. And I'm just very happy that something did. Yeah. Well, we I was asked to go there to help premiere the movie Common Ground. And... Uh... It uh, it was shown to a few Congress Congress people and senators and and their aides and and then there was a Q and A afterwards and it, it's you know and then we went around and we saw I don't know maybe seven seven congressmen and some senators and and just talked to them about the the the, the bills that are going to the floor and I've been very fortunate that. Um, there's three bills that are headed to the floor for regenerative farming that I'm I've been I've been a consultant on. So that's always nice. Um, so it was just, you know, to be out there and show some, show your face and, and uh, have some conversations and you're right. You know, 
it's like moving a battleship, but once you get the thing started to turn, it's going to come around. And that's, that's where we are. I think it's turning now. It's starting to make a turn. So that was my, that was my trip out there. It was fun. It was good. And, and uh, I'll, I'll go again. And if, uh, if I've got the time, so yeah. All right. So I've been, I follow you guys now because you know, you got your feed and you see these comments coming in and you keep seeing this, this uh, farm-made biofurts coming up and like, who, what, what's going on here? So, you know, one of my, first of all, Kyle, let's get, let's get to the chat here. Uh, what crop are you testing your bricks on? Oh, that one was uh, soybeans before my sprayer broke. Yeah. Yeah. Soybeans before the sprayer broke. Okay. Um, and, and hey, Matt, thanks for the question. And, and Douglas is asking, uh, okay, what's the name of the Facebook page? And, and Kyle typed it in there. Got it. Perfect. Thank you. So what I, you know, what I, what I love about this is you guys have very quickly brought the world in. I mean, you've got people around the world that are on this doing their experiments and it just goes to show you that, um this works anywhere so so Kyle tell us you know you've been doing this for quite a while what what is it you're seeing and and what what's what's working what's working right now mm, that's a very complex uh question that even Vitito and I we were talking today and uh I guess I don't know what direction to go with this because I've been doing um Korean natural farming, and I've been making my own biologicals, uh, biological st uh, stimulant. And then at the same time, it's like I wasn't seeing a lot of the results that other people have. And I'm like, what's going on? But then I got to think of it as you need oxygen, you need water, you need a food source to get this whole system running and prime. Well, the, uh, the high meg soils that I have are so tight that uh, I wasn't allowing to get the oxygen down in there to get the microbes to thrive. And I know John Kemp and uh, Joel Williams were kind of talking about, you know, what comes first, the chemistry or the biology. And I was always going after the biology first. And now I'm thinking maybe it's a little bit more of the chemistry to get mm. the calcium in there to loosen up the soil to get that environment. Mm -hmm. right for the the microbes to thrive and get the oxygen in there and then get the water holding uh capacity up um which can come in time with the microbes but we're trying to prime the system to get going as fast as possible that's kind of on making you know like the johnson sues or um, imo one two and three which is like a korean natural farming practice um for making my own like uh, nutrients, uh, the fish amino acid, it's kind of a type of nitrogen plus all your trace uh, elements in there. Uh, I don't so, know. I was, I was getting some good results with that as well. So Kyle, if you would, if you were going to raise corn in Iowa, where you are, how much night, how much synthetic nitrogen would you, if, if you don't mind me asking, would you apply and then the balance is coming with the, the microbial package, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so that's another 
trick question because <laughs> <laughs> what I found out this year from last year previous. So last year I started off with seven gallons of 32% with my corn, two by two by two by zero, right? My sap test then showed that my nitrate levels were spiked up with only seven gallons. So that's what, 21 pounds of N? Okay, so was that too much nitrogen or was that not enough calcium to yeah. get that nitrogen to flow up throughout the corn plant? Right. But, so this year I backed off with that knowledge and I went to three gallon, three gallon of 32%. But then I also put two gallon of calcium nitrate, very highly available calcium to get that nitrogen to flow and not plug up the, what is it? The vascular system of the, the mm -hmm. corn stalk. Well, my nitrate went down and all the way to tassel, I showed no nitrogen deficient deficiency. And then I came in with 18 gallon of 32% and it should be well over 230 bushel corn. So I'm at 60 pounds of N. And when was the 18? Like, like, like a V6? Tassel. Oh, no, a tassel. tassel. They're like right before tassel. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So you went in with a high boy and, and. Yeah. My, my haggy. Well, not my haggy. I had to go rent a buddy's haggy that I could go in and Y drop. Okay. Y drop. Very good. Yeah. So understanding that calcium nitrogen, I would say there's a point at almost 60 pounds of nitrogen where calcium is more important than nitrogen is. Yeah. To be able to get those nutrients to to move throughout the profile. Yeah. And these are things that Luda talks about a lot, John Kemp talks about a lot. And and this is what I think gets some people in trouble because, you know, just the way you started it out you've tried products and maybe you don't see the results that you think you should see or expect to see, but mm -hmm. maybe it's not because it's the biology. Maybe the chemistry is not, I mean, I see it. I see it every day here. See the same thing. You know, you pull a sample, you pull a soil test and you got 3000 parts per million of calcium and you pull a sap test and it's 50. I mean, what's the yeah. problem here? I got all kinds of calcium. We can't get it into the plant. So yeah, I, I totally get it. So, so Vance, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit more. Are are you where are you at in the in this this road of 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 making your own biology, applying biology? What's happening? So I'm just tagging along with these guys. Uh, really, I uh, kind of started in biologicals with uh, uh, using Inferro um, uh, compost extract about probably four years ago and I've liked the results of that all along and then I've you know with bricks testing and stuff I've been kind of frustrated with the it just seems like I can't get my bricks to jump so mm. um but this summer I tested all kinds of different ferments and uh just uh so as far as bricks I didn't see a lot of a lot of results, but I, I, I think I'm seeing some um, just healthy plants and um, just just really haven't sprayed an insecticide for several years. I'm still a fairly conventional farmer. You know, we still use herbicides, commercial fertilizers, but I've almost totally cut out. Well, I have totally cut out um, chemical uh, phosphates. I still do use some nitrogen, just like Kyle was talking but I'd echo what he's saying on the calcium. I mean, 
we've we've gotten we we can get beet lime real cheap here and we've gotten to where we just put it on everything mm. and uh and that seems to really help help our soils flocculate you know we we've been strip tilling for years and years and we've got a hard pan at a foot level and uh, uh this year it with with probing and stuff it, it seems like our our calcium you know our lime applications have really helped that yeah so and but and Vance, are you are you still using some chemistry? Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. Uh, with our cover crops, I mean, uh, that's the best way I found. You know, here we just got a little bit shorter, shorter growing season, uh, so it's it's real hard to roll down rye like I'd like. Yeah. It gets it gets real late for planting corn, and even with the soybeans, if I plant them as early as I want, they're getting pretty good size by the time it's time to roll down that rye. So we're still using Roundup to kill the you know, yeah. to kill that rye and stuff like that. So still, yeah. still using chemistry, but I almost no fun. Uh, the only fungicides I use is sometimes a seed treatment, um, but I've even gotten to where we're getting completely away from seed treatments. Even uh, I, I don't treat my beans at all. Some of my corn still gets treated, but yeah. um, no, you know, no in season fungicides or insecticides now at this point. So. Well, the only thing I was thinking there, and again, I'm not in, I don't live in Nebraska and I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't, you know, pretend that I know what I'm doing here because I'm going to ask you the question. Can you guys grow annual ryegrass there? Yes. Um, I've, I've, I've dabbled in it. Um, I, I spread some with the Hagee a few years back um, and just didn't get real good establishment on that. Okay. We, um, it, it's got to come we, out early. It's got to get out there early and yeah. to survive your winters out there, you've got to get it established earlier in the, in the, in the summer than you think. But that is probably one of the best species I know of to go down and drill through that compaction, that compaction zone you've got. Yeah. I've wanted to try it at the V5 because like I said, spreading it with the Hagee later on, it just doesn't, just like you said, it's, it's too late. We have such a crop canopy there. You know, it'll get up and get established, but then it winter kills. Well, that then the the heat, your heat that you get in the in. I mean, you guys got it all. You got really cold. And you got really hot, and and you get those two together. If the the, the annual ryegrass does not like either one of those, so um, let's see. Michael Thompson, cereal rye. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Cereal rye is far superior for a western. Uh, environment okay yeah so and it sounds like you're using cereal rye um just stay with it uh you know and and i i'd like to um you know hopefully luda can help us here because she's the she's the expert in this area you know i have not applied lime on this farm for nine nine years now maybe that's not a good thing maybe maybe i'm leaving something on the table that, i mean Luda, the pH stays at 6.8 to 6.9 all the time. So is tell, help me here. Do Should I be applying lime? Why? You said that you have enough calcium in your soil. Your pH is fine. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just a matter of uh, getting calcium into your plants. And uh, um, silica, like from fermented horsetail um, weeds, um can can help with that or boron from um um chicken litter or um, a chicken litter containing bioferment can also help with that if you have calcium and soil you have a optimal ph why would you lime it 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I'll i tell you, I try to be open and honest with everything that's that's happening on this farm. And I'm going to be, I'm, we, we struggle with foxtail and everyone says that you have a, you have a calcium problem or you have a compaction problem. Well, everybody's probably got compaction and I'm not going to disagree with that, but I don't think ours is that bad. When you take the penetrometer out, I can put two, a finger on each side of it and push it all the way to the handles with two fingers. I don't think we have a compaction problem. So that's where I'm at on that Luda. I mean, how do we, how, how do we find those combinations of certain things to then go out and attack a specific problem? I got one for you, Rick. Give I it to a, me. I, I got a question. Uh, what's your magnesium level on that it's, field? That because you, you gotta you gotta you gotta keep in mind that magnesium affects your pH like over double what calcium does. So if you're low on calcium but high on magnesium, your pH can still be perfect. It's something that, to keep in mind. That's a good point. And I think the last time I checked, Michael, I think that ratio was like seven to one. Well, well, I, I try and look at base saturation percentages. So on a heavier clay soil, you want to have 70% calcium and 10% magnesium. Okay. I don't, I don't have anything that's that. Most of the time I've got – anywhere from mid to high fifties up to mid seventies on my calcium. And then it's kind of rare for me to have something less than like 17 or 18 magnesium. And then I've got up to like 30% magnesium in some spots. So yeah, I, I've been trying to focus on getting my calcium up at least to 60, ideally up to 70 and then get my magnesium down uh, and doing that by putting on, calcium fertilizer uh like biocal from midwest bioag or high calcium lime definitely not dolomitic lime because that has magnesium right. in it and then trying to push sulfur levels to start pulling the magnesium down i got a long ways to go so stay tuned a decade from now i might be able to tell you if it worked or not but that's how yeah. i understand it to work from the books yeah. i've read and whatnot so but but that's why i've got you guys on here because see a lot of people don't understand that that you need like that calcium to magnesium relationship has to be in in alignment or or you're going to be you're you're out of bounds yeah and, and that's exactly what's happening my guess is uh i don't have those numbers off the top of my head michael but i'm going to say right. we're in the same boat probably in that 50 50 calcium range and probably that 25 to 30 percent magnesium range yeah so we're probably not exactly where I want to be, but um, it's closer than, than I was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to say that it won't get better over time because yeah. I, you know, just without putting lime on, but I think lime will help get, get calcium up to the top of the soil again. That's what I've been trying to do is get some calcium up on top again and let it leach down through the profile and kind of aerate things as we go. I've, I've noticed having more of a crumb structure on the soil surface the last two, three years. Uh, and we've been pushing calcium over that period. We've also been running our, letting our rye get big and rolling it down. So we've got a good thatch covering it up, which all of that stuff is important in my opinion. But, but yeah, that's kind of what Kyle and I were talking about is, you know, 
getting some of that stuff balanced first and then going from there as well, you know, focusing on yeah. that. That's when I, when I first kind of started trying to dig into this nutrition stuff, it, I got Neil Kinsey's book. I picked it up hands-on agronomy. And I think he spends like the first hundred pages of that book drilling. Yes. Drilling that into your head that like you better get your calcium to magnesium fixed yeah. first and foremost. And then generally speaking, most of your other problems will fall in line. But then once you get on the right track with that, you kind of can start actually solving some stuff. So yeah, that, that I think that's a good motto to go by is try and get your calcium magnesium balance as good as you can first and then work from there yeah that's excellent advice excellent i got a soil test in front of me that i just pulled here a week ago for a customer literally yeah. 10 miles from me and i couldn't hardly get the soil probe in the ground in spots hmm. and i told him i said i can almost guarantee your base saturation's really messed up and your magnesium levels are really high but yeah. sure enough 37 to 38 percent base saturation magnesium and his calcium is only 60 yeah so like it, it showed it before i could even you know i knew it before i even got the soil test you yeah. could tell that it just the soil couldn't breathe so then he doesn't have any room for potassium on there either because no, his magnesium, very low. yeah uh, calcium and magnesium kick it off the clay colloid and yep. there's no spots for potassium then so that's oh, yeah. that's what I have problems with too is I've got too much calcium and magnesium total and then I don't have room for anything else. So yeah. or very you know, I don't have any hydrogen, put it that way. So yeah. and this, you know, this I love this because when the young folks I like I try to speak to the FFA as much as I can and the and the, the high school ag students. And you know, Rick, what would you recommend? to to do if you want to come back and be a regenerative farmer and i always tell them i would major in biology minor in ecology and minor in animal science and that's exactly what you guys are talking about here i mean how many farmers are just are going to stand around and talk about not enough room for for uh potassium or whatever you know so ryan tell us tell us what what you know, what are you, what are you up to? I know you got a lot going on, but what are you seeing? What's not working? What's working? Everything and both. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a good enough answer, but yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so I guess I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Kyle, because I went to his field day a couple of years ago and seen what he was doing. Yeah, And I was like, wow, it's amazing. I've, no, I've never heard of this stuff. So I jumped into it. We started making a, uh, Johnson Sioux bioreactors, which is basically compost. It's a no-stir compost system. For the people that are listening, I'm going to try to explain this to a first, a farmer who's never been around this stuff. Yeah. So basically we're taking compost and we make an extract. So we turn it into a liquid form. And um, I had a friend of mine, um, Caleb, he made a uh, extractor this year, continuous flow extractor, so we can pump out, you know, 100 plus acres an hour with this thing. And so we're running compost extract, basically liquid worm poop in furrow. And the, the last year is my first year doing it. We left check strips in every field. We noticed a huge difference on poor soil and high fertility, a lot of livestock manure ground. We didn't see nearly as much yield difference, but plant health was definitely better. I mean, we, we don't fight tar spot nearly as bad. Um, we never seen it this year on anything. 
Uh, and I don't put no fungicide down. And over half my corn this year was naked seed. It was untreated seed. And my best-looking corn right now, and my biggest ears, and my best stand was my worst-looking corn this spring. And that was yeah. my non-GMO naked seed. And that is my best-looking corn. I think that's going to out-yield all my full-stack stuff by at least 20 to 30 bushel. It should. And, I mean, I'm pretty excited. I'm really excited for it because that's the only field I got that I got regenerative verified through the soil regen program. And I'm pretty excited for that. But, I mean – trying to learn about this biology stuff. I mean, I wish I would have paid attention to biology in school because I didn't think I needed it. And now I'm trying to become a biologist. And so, you know, uh, Michael Vitito talked about that hands-on agronomy book. I wish I would have bought that book 10 years ago when I started farming and it would have saved me thousands and thousands of dollars and made me probably a hundred thousand. You know, it really talks about how soil functions. And if you have a problem looking at where you're, high on stuff and low on stuff because that's tying up other things and, and, and just really good hold that book up again ryan so it's called hands-on agronomy hands-on agronomy yep and it's written by neil kinsey and charles walters it's a really good book and i got right. little sticky notes in it i've been highlighting stuff it really oh, yeah. talks a lot about calcium and soil health and i really like it um and what's worked and hasn't worked for guys. But I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff on our farm. We incorporate livestock manure on um, on all of our acres at some time or another. Uh, like corn acres get a lot of livestock manure. Bean acres don't get any manure on them. Um, we use pelletized gypsum because we got very high mag soils. For years, we put uh, domatic lime on because that's what we were told to do is lime our soils. Yeah, And, you know, I came from a standpoint when I started farming back in 2010, I used anhydrous corn on corn, full tillage program, spring and fall. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I did. That's what the neighbors did. That's what I did. Sure. You know, you, you watch what the guy who's successful with big equipment does and you do what he does. So you can be big and successful. Yeah. And you know, about six years ago, we changed our program. Uh, neighbor's field is looking better than mine. He'd been doing no-till for years so I just went over and talked to him like, I want to do what you're doing because it's a lot less work and your crops look better than mine. Started showing me what he was doing and and it just amazing. I was like, wow, I, I can do this. you know. So we uh, incorporated one field and then from there we transitioned everything to cover crop and no-till within two years. And then I started selling seed for Iowa cover crop and working with them. Uh, we're making our own bio ferment fertilizers, compost extract, liquid worm poop putting that on the seed. Um, our cereal rye, we grow for seed production. We actually make a slurry in a five-gallon bucket, put our cereal rye seed in a cattle mixer mill, and then we climb up to the top, we dump that sludge and water and everything into the top, and we get a nice black coating on the seed. Yeah. And we don't have a liquid system on our grain drill yeah. to put it in for seed, seed, you know. And like this year, we had 70 bushel cereal rye, no fungicide, no plant growth regulators, no insecticide. And I didn't even put uh, nitrogen on it. I put 200 pounds of gypsum on it. And there was enough carryover nitrogen in the soil from the hog manure the previous year. We didn't have to put any nitrogen on it. Yeah. I went and pulled soil tests in the spring. I had 60 pounds of nitrogen out there Yeah. on a Haney yeah. test. So I didn't even put nitrogen on it. 70 bushel cereal rye. Yeah. And it stood perfect, you know. And so, yeah, Nin we're making some other stuff, fish hydrolysate, stuff like that. Yeah. Now you run the numbers on that, Ryan, and you start looking at return on your investment there, and it's it's just blowing the doors off. 
I'm I'm probably going to triple my cereal rye seed production acres for next year because I can make more money growing cereal rye than what I can corn and soybeans. Yeah. And now I'm trying to figure it out how to plant the buckwheat after the cereal rye to double crop it. We're still learning on that. Yeah, we you... made more money with buckwheat last year than we did this year. It was a better crop. This year our buckwheat doesn't look so good. We just not getting rain. Yeah, we ours doesn't look very good this year either. Um, We're you learning. know now. I want to throw something out here and, and I'm going to ask Lou Myla what she thinks about what I'm getting ready to say. Um, now, Ryan, we have here and I mean, we are straight East of you guys. Okay. For the most part. And we run, when, when you get into October, you're out of options here of what to plant. It's cereal rye. That's about it. And, or some kind of a cereal grain that's going to survive the winter. So I think I've done too much of this. And, and this is my question to, to Luda is I think I've affected or shifted our, my, our, our, our uh, 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 fungal to bacteria relationships because of the high carbon to nitrogen ratio environments that we've been in for too long of a period of time. Do you, what do you think about that? Thank you. Um, carbon to nitrogen ratio is too high because of all the cereal rains. Right. We get fungal dominated sleepy soils with a slow nutrient um, uh, turnover. Is that is that what you're asking? Yeah. But as far as I know, you you plant not just cereal rye. You plant a maslin, a mix of several cereals. We do. That yep. um, you also in your gunslinger, you have um, temporary companions that are frost sensitive, that you plant without expectations of them to overwinter just to get the nutrient cycling going, right? You have um, your sorghum there, um, some legumes, uh, some forbs, right? So that gets nutrient cycling going. It also uh, wakes up dormant biology, propagates it, allows yeah. it to sporulate and wait there for spring. And the residue compost in place create um, compost and extract right there on the field um, and feeds the biology and helps it wake up and um, in spring and feed your rye and then feed your crop that feed your beans then um, that you drill into rye. So yeah. I think what you're doing is is great from this perspective. Yeah. Um, Vance uh, plants rye with veg because he grows veg for seed, for uh, green cover seed for Keith. And rye is a very good um, scaffolding crop for, very good companion uh, yeah. nursery crop for, uh, for veg. But you don't want veg ahead of beans, obviously. Yeah. No, I, love... I think it's great. It's the best. Yeah. I, I love planting uh, a cereal grain with a with a, a legume because it makes that legume work even harder. Um, right. Then you get the benefit of what the cereal grain is sequestered to release later on in the growing season. So, yeah. Right. Okay. okay. My. And you showed the world. Oh, go no, go ahead. What's what's and that? You, you've made a point. You um you showed the world. You demonstrated um very eloquently how much nutrients are sequestered in mm. rye and how it's slowly, this nutrients are slowly released for the next crop. So it's perfect and it's uh, very powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
Um, we've got a, a, a Paul Paul Naring on here. Paul, how you doing this evening? Um, if you apply if you apply too much high cal lime, the calcium can tie up other nutrients. Apply too much gypsum, and sulfur levels can get too high. Like all things, test smaller scale at for you bet yeah you gotta you've got to try these things at small scale you're exactly right paul um and mitchell came back and 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 mitchell's on hey tonight how you doing mitchell uh mitchell's another i iowan is that how i did i say that right guys iowan and um, uh mitchell's got um topsoil and continuum ag and we have our fields uploaded some of our fields are uploaded to the platform and mitchell's coming back and he just really clicked dug through showing calcium parts per million of 600 to 670 mag parts per million of 90 to 170 so we're, we're out of balance there right michael yeah what can help you cycle it better is something with deep roots like sunflowers for okay. example, or if you're in a pasture, um, um, cup plant or silphium, which is a cousin of sunflower, looks very similar, but it's a perennial. What is it's it? Form, um, cup plant or, or silphium. It's a perennial cousin of sunflowers. Okay. Pastures. It's um, also medicinal. Um, and uh, um, there are studies that wheat grown after sunflowers has more zinc and copper and um, other nutrients because sunflowers is very good at pulling um, the minerals from deeper in the soil profile to the surface. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael, what do you think about those numbers? Pretty, pretty ugly, right there, huh? No, not at all. I, I mean, I was looking at them. That's that's in parts per million. Which to convert that to base saturation, you got to have. I don't know exactly what the formula is, but it involves I mean, CEC and all that. So. How much how much exchange capacity you have on the clay colloid and the organic matter is going to change what your base saturation reading is for various PPMs. So I I don't have a good enough eye to be able to tell that off the top of my head. So right. Um, I know you want to have at least you want them to add up to eighty on your base saturation. Once you start getting over eighty, then you don't have room for your potassium and hydrogen and other bases and whatnot um but yeah that's all the ppms themselves is going to change mm -hmm. from heavier soils to lighter soils um and that 7010 is more on cecs of like mid-teens and higher i know mm -hmm. that we don't have we don't have any soils that are light enough that you need to get below 7010 but like on sand do you want 60 percent calcium and 20 percent magnesium because magnesium's sticky and it'll help your sand particles stick together, and then you can actually keep keep uh, keep more water in there instead of having too much air. So we have too much magnesium and too much clay, so we don't have any room for air. Um, mm -hmm. You need to have that balance in order for the soil air and you know sand silt clay ratios to all work out. Which biology yeah. helps with that and whatnot, but yeah, if you don't have the right building blocks, then the biology has to work that much harder. And it's not going to work as good, just like right. with anything else. If you got, if you're doing a bunch of heavy tillage, you're going to have a hard time getting your biology to really crank. If it has to rebuild its house, you'll have a lot of bacteria. But yeah, you know, it's all kind of, it's all relative. So yeah. I, the 
long story short, I really don't know, man. Like, I'm still trying to figure this stuff out, but this is just how I understand it from reading books and listening to people that should know what they're know what they're talking about more than me. I'm just a dumb farmer from Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand, and, and you're 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 just a young guy too. So all you guys are young. Everybody is so. I tease uh, these guys. I tease these guys that they speak Iowanese, and I don't understand it all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the guy gets to combine crops where their neighbors um, silage everything, so they are doing something right. And uh, um, this January on No Till in the Plains, um, Mike Michael Vitetto was invited to talk about his um, farm-made uh, custom concoctions yeah. that are based on subtests and on what's specific context, but not just farm context, but also weather and how plants look. And um, yeah, that that's exciting. Yeah. It'd be fun. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Me and, me and Mitchell road trip down there, what, 2018, I think it was? No-till on the plains. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a haul. It's all, but it's a good time. So oh, it's worth it. it. It's worth it. You, if nothing else, you get to you get to talk to Mr. Thompson, Mr. Michael Thompson. That's right. That's right. Exactly. It's all exactly. So. Um, so okay, here's here's my here's my number one question. I don't somebody whoever wants to take it or all of you can take it. How do we do what you guys are doing and take it to scale? Which is it is it seed treatments is it in furrow i mean i can't i mean to, to build some of this stuff to do five thousand acres or whatever of foliar takes a lot of material so how do we do this what's the best way to move this across scale uh seed treatment obviously or in furrow especially with uh, johnson seal a compost extract that um, kyle helped um um, lots of people set up. He has a process that is uh, easily scalable. All with um, indigenous microorganisms like uh, Jadam microbial solution, GMS. Um, that is just a, a little bit of a leaf mold from um, a forested, healthy forested area nearby that is brewed with um, some starch source like um, uh, boiled potatoes or malted barley. Um, it doesn't stay in your soil for a long time when you do genomics testing. In uh, um, five um, to eight weeks, there's virtually nothing left. But what it does, it helps. It seems to help jumpstart the nutrient cycle. Mm -hmm. And it seems to help wake up the dormant spores of the biology that is already there. So, so, so Luda, is, is, I'm sorry, Luda, is this what I would call like a hormone then or a stimulant? Is that what you're referring to? Um, there's a lot in it. There's definitely native microorganisms because you're um, you're taking a little bit of uh, <clears throat> your um, leaf mold in in your area. So there are there are fungi and yeast and archaea and um, bacteria there. And when you brew them with um, for a short period of time um, in an open container with a little bit of starch, they will produce secondary compounds. They will produce some um, hormones uh, and uh, quorum sensing molecules and other. Um, and other biostimulants, if, if um, you prefer to call them this way, that will help a local microbiota wake up because you see much higher microbial activity um, 
of your soil microbiota that is different from from what you brought in in GMS or uh, from your Johnson's. There is an overlap, so there are some that that are distinct. Um, and it's easier with seed treatment or infer. And the guys here have their own uh, mixes for seeds. Some of them add um, chitin uh, from fermented um, crustaceans or from um, insects because it helps to propagate. It's a food for local entomopathogenic um, um, fungi that help protect seed from uh, um, insects instead of nanics, putting a little bit of chitin into it. Uh, to help proliferate anthemopsygenic fungi um, helps. Um, and I let guys talk what they, uh, what they tell what they put in their seed treatment. They have slightly different protocols, but they're both, they're all very good. I got, I got one for you. And this is something that I know Kyle's using, and I'm not sure if Ryan's using them or not, but, but metering tubes on the liquid systems on the planters where the tube itself is essentially the orifice. Yep. Um, you can run a lot bigger, a lot dirtier product, I would call it, through that without plugging. <laughs> I didn't have any problems plugging mine up all year, and I was running uh, pretty, not, like, I was running everything through a 50 mesh once, um, but, like, there was some sediment that was getting through that and whatnot, and I didn't I didn't have any problems plugging, plugging that system up, whereas if you got to have an actual orifice, the hole for the orifice is going to be like five times smaller than what the hole for the metering tube is. Sure. So that's, that's like a, that's like a, if you want to do compost extract, extract on a planter, you can't, you can't be having planter downtime because your system's plugged up. Like when it's time to plant, it's time to plant, not be dealing with plugged up orifices and whatnot. Right. Um, so yeah, putting, yeah, putting that metering tube on and then, we were able to basically don't even need a screen other than just to take real big stuff out of it. But that made a big difference for us and what we were able to do with our infro products. And drawing yeah. people up on um, um, irrigation king self-cleaning filter. That has been a game changer for many people. Like for the first time, about is not clogging up their regular tube, not just meter tube, but metering tube, yeah, they're, they're great. Yeah. Um, Kyle, what do you put in your seed or what do you plan to put in your seed next time? Yeah. So, Rick, I kind of want to go back to the premises of your question on how to scale this, right? 5,000 yeah. acres? Yeah. And what, the last four years I've been experimenting with this, I'm like, I'm spending way too much time doing this. I got my daughter here now. I uh, I feel guilty when I'm off at the farm when I could be with my family. So was, yeah. if I can streamline this, uh, the best. And one thing I found this year was I did not do any microbes in furrow. Mm -hmm. I went and treated all my seed ahead of time. And the results I got from that were way better than in furrow. Now, really? if you, yeah. And if there's, um, I think it's Dr. James White has done a little bit of study with that. I think some of the into the seed um, and then yeah they'll able to proliferate kind of grow off with the roots from there and i'm talking to do uh what a pro box of seed i probably used maybe a pound of johnson sue and Holy then i made a slur yeah i made a slurry and then i think it was about three gallons 
um, for 2,000 pounds of seed or 2,400 pounds of seed. And I got this big uh, feed mixer that you can actually put three pro boxes in and it just sits there and slowly turns. And then I just put the liquid in there and it coats the seed kind of like what Gibbs did with his uh, grinder mixer. Yeah. Um, so I put that in there and then I put a little bit of uh, calcium silicate on there. So, uh, calcium source, silicon source. And then I put in some kelp in there and that stuff gets really sticky. So it helps coat the seed and then some fish and sugar. And this year was the best year I've ever seen of my rhizosphere in the, you know, the Rastafarian roots is what you'd call them. So mm -hmm. I would say that would be the number one thing scaling up would not be going in furrow with microbes. And there's another reason for that too, but um, put your microbes on your seed and not in furrow with your fertilizer. And then step two would be getting liquid fertilizer um, at planting, probably in furrow and two by zero, just the power that I've showed having like a high available calcium source two by zero um, has shown mm -hmm. big dividends this year. So that would be the second thing for scaling would be getting very available um, nutrient sources right next to the seed, carbon-based. Um, and then number three would uh, probably be trying to balance out your sap test with applied fertilizer. Um, you can't fix a sap test by, by fuller spraying calcium. Like that's going to be applied in the fall or early uh, hmm. spring. So I okay. would say if you, if you can do those three things, good, you'll be uh, off and running. So that's, that's excellent. So let's go back. Um, tell me the, the, the device again that you're putting, you can put a whole pro box inside of this, this drum you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably six he foot found tall. It in his neighbor's windbreaker ditch or whatever the hell it was yeah so one neighbor of mine used to use it to mix uh hog feed and then he sold it to another neighbor of mine because he was using it to mix soil and compost together and was trying to bag it in 50 pound bags and sell oh, it okay and then it just it just sat there and then i got it and uh retrofitted it to do seed and it works perfect it's really gentle and you can just mix all this stuff and you could do it you could do it in march before you know 30 days before you even think about planting and then put it right back in the pro box that that's was my next question kyle how how long how much shelf life do we have here well just think of it as uh you know the microbes are etched into the seed but they're not going to proliferate without what water food oxygen okay well, it's dry within six minutes, so you can put it back into the box. They're not going to start using that seed as a food source until it gets moisture. Okay. Or, you know, once it's out in the soil, then they grow together. A yeah. lot of them are correlated, right, at that point? Right. Depends on, it depends on the, the source that you're using for your microbes. If you're getting stuff that's mature, yeah, they could already be sporulated. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not just microbes, right? It's the signaling molecules that they produce when they turn oh. the material that you um, start your compost with, your wood chips and your manure, and then you end up with something completely different. And think about 
all the enzymatic reactions that um, different microbes have to facilitate in succession and how they have to communicate with one another to enable this information. So all the signaling, um, all those signaling molecules are still there. And plus you add um, fish hydrolysis or um, kelp that is filled with uh, plant hormones. Uh, fish hydrolysis has a um, high amount of uh, gibberellins, which help overcome dormancy of seeds and microbial spores and help um, increase germination rate of um, perennials too, which is great for pasture, uh, pasture stitching. There's a huge difference when folks um, add fermented fish. Um, can you guys uh, talk about your own uh, fish hydrolysis versus the um, bot one and uh, what issues it created, the liquid fish? Ryan, can you can you uh, answer that? Well, I'll answer it because I'm doing it the same way Kyle's doing it, I guess. We're taking whole fish. It does help to chop them up, and you mix it with brown sugar one-to-one. -one. It's very simple. Okay. And it works, and it doesn't clog everything um, up. It? Very often when people get commercial liquid fish, the fish hydrolysis, it just creates a sticky mass, and um, no meter tubes can help with that. So, so, so Ryan, what's what's the vessel here? What are you doing this in? I'm doing it in a 55-gallon drum. Okay. And then what I actually did is I drilled a hole, actually like three holes towards the bottom, and then I put bolts in them to seal it off. That way I let it ferment. Kyle, correct me on this. I want to say it's 30 days, or is it six months? You can do however long. I did mine for a year. Okay. I want to say I did mine in like a couple months. Okay. And then I just took the screws out and um, I put like a tea bag. Actually, it was a paint strainer bag that I got at Ace Hardware for five bucks. Yeah. I put that kind of where it was coming out the bottom of the 55-gallon drum. And so it kind of filtered it as it went into my buckets. And I filled up five-gallon buckets with it. Now, the application rate on that, I believe, is one to 500. So one gallon of that would treat 500. Is that right, Kyle, or is it one to 1,000? Yeah, one to five hundred. Okay, no, okay one, hang on. Time out. Time out. So you've got a a fish that weighs. You said one to one. So I assume a one pound fish with a pound of of, of brown sugar. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I actually know someone who owns a restaurant in town. So I just called him up. I'm like, hey, I need a couple fifty pound bags of brown sugar. And so it ended up costing me like a dollar a pound. And so I got like basically one hundred and fifty pounds of brown sugar. So I got one hundred and fifty dollars in it. Um, and then there's a place about an hour from me that catches fish and he also gets fish from like, uh, like salmon and stuff too. He cuts some fillets out and he throws the rest away and some fish, he just throws the whole fish away. So yeah. I went and got all that for free. So I basically got 150 bucks in it in my time and I'm making enough for like probably 400 acres with that. Now, okay. This is awesome. So, okay. So what, You've got this, what, are you putting water in there with it? And no, do you, do, no water. No. What about oxygen source? Do you have oxygen being pumped into this thing? It's got a lid with a rubber seal on it, and I just set that lid on it. I don't clamp it down. I just set it on it. So that way it can still gas out, but it can't pull air in. Okay. All right. And then, so I mix it one-to-one, -one, and then I usually I do it, I put like an inch – of brown sugar or two inches of brown sugar cap on the top 
and that holds the smell to, in too. It doesn't stink. It just smells like fish jerky. Like it smells really sweet. It smells like, like money it, to me, I would think. I'd think it smells like money. What's it yeah, taste yeah. like, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> I have not tasted that. I do taste the uh, <laughs> fermented plant juice. That stuff is good. That's good. All right. Now, now, Ryan, let's stay right here for just a second. Okay. So what's the goal here for this product? Is this a, this is a nitrogen source I'm gathering. Is that right? It, it does provide some nitrogen. I'm kind of after some amino acids and, amino and acids. you know, so I'll put it in like a, I did it this year. I actually bought fish hydrolysate that I put in for, I purchased fish hydrolysate for that yeah. because I didn't have enough my own fish made to put in furrow. So the stuff I made, I came back and did a foliar application on my corn at night when the sun was down and dew was setting in. And I did it on my corn and some of my beans um, about 14 days after a herbicide application. So, and I put like fulvic acid with it, some humic acid, um, you know, yucca, you can mix some stuff with it and do a nice foliar application. Okay. We're able to get the bricks up a little bit, but we just didn't have the rain to keep our biology going all season. Yeah. So it was hard to get bricks going with a foliar. Um, we're finding out adding the fulvic acid with a foliar helps draw it into the plant cell. Um, fulvic acid is a very tiny molecule. You're going to have a couple bucks an acre in fulvic acid, but it, it works really good to draw a product into the plant. So the plant can, it'll, it'll drive it into the plant cell so the plant can utilize it. Yeah. So give me the, uh, the ratio again, one gallon of this. Uh... To 500 gallons of water or spray. So like, let's say my 55 gallon drum, when I'm all said and done, I got probably 15 gallons of liquid, maybe 10, 12, 12 gallons of liquid. 12 gallons like, of liquid are going to come out and then every gallon you're going to do 500 acres or 500 acres or 500 gallons of water. 500 gallons of water to that. Okay. So if I'm applying 15 gallons per acre, you can do the math. Okay. Nope. And it's mostly, this. yes, amino acids. Um, there's also all kinds of sea minerals. There are more than 90 different minerals and they are in um, um, organic compounds. So they're in a form that is um, very bioavailable. There was a study by a New Zealand group showing that phosphorus from uh, fish hydrolysate is uh, so bioavailable that it lifts the sap levels of uh, phosphorus equivalent to 30 units. Each unit from fish hydrolysate is equivalent to um, so, uh, 30 un units of um, soluble um, phosphate in soil. And as I mentioned before, it has a lot of um, hormones like gibberellins that um, not only help uh, seeds germinate and overcome dormancy, but also um, help um, ripening and help at the um, reproductive phase. So there's there are multiple modes of action for, for fish hydrolysate. And if you think of it, um, the three sisters of Native Americans, the corn, the beans, and the squash started with fish head. Right, being planted underneath, and you can find uh, fermented fish fertilizers in um, many indigenous cultures and throughout Asia and Africa and South America. People have been doing it for millennia, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, um, got a question from Matt. Uh, 
can you guys point me to a good uh, extractor build on YouTube? Do you guys do you guys use extractors? I mean, Kyle, you got you got Johnson Sue's running. How you getting how you getting the mic the mic the biology out of it? I'll build his own. No, I, I didn't really build it, but uh, I bought it and had to rebuild it. Um, I really didn't use it this much after treating seed. Um, I guess I would actually start pointing people away from extractors and just treating seed. Get a five-gallon bucket, put a handful of your compost in, mix it up with your paint drill, and uh, sift it and uh, pour it on your seed and mix it up. Um, and you can do that a month ahead of planting. And then you don't have to buy an extractor and spend all that time doing all that right in the middle of the season. And then when it comes to foliars, I don't know, it's a toss up if you need um, microbes on a foliar or more uh, nutrient based. But I like putting uh, microbes on with the foliar as well as like a little defense package. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Kyle, um, you said something that made me think of a question and now I just lost it. Um, so if, but, but when oh. it comes to extractors, how about this? So I've done a, I've done an IBC tote. Uh, I think Metatote still does it a little bit of this way, but cut the top off, put your stuff in there and yeah. just take a rake and just massage yeah. it for five minutes. And if you have the ability to just like, let it sit overnight and stew a little bit, come back in the morning, stir it up a little bit, and then I just put it up on my forklift and just tilted it and then opened up the valve and then put yeah. a little filter there and just had it drop right into my chem inductor. And that was on the pressure side for a venturi and right into my planter or my sprayer. And away you go. Yeah. And then what last year I got a a 300 gallon cone bottom and then I bored out the bottom to put a big three inch valve. And off of that, I put a T and had air coming in the side and would just blow and massage all that material in there. And then I shut the air off, let all the big uh, material settle to the bottom. And then I drain off just above that and then filter that. And then once that was all gone, then I'd open up the bottom on the bottom and let all the solids fall down. That, For was, myself. that was really slick. For me out here, I do a lot of extracting because I have the opportunity to put through the pivot irrigation. So I do a lot of extracting, but I use a, uh, I got my plans off of Bio5. They're, they've got a spot on YouTube where they made a, a IBC tote extractor and I made one of those. But I do a lot of extracting because I'm, I'm pumping it through the pivot nonstop. And I'll say that uh, my design is kind of off the high wasi extractor design it's an auger system with a screen on yeah. around it so it's yeah. a continuous flow and uh like i said i had a friend of mine caleb built that and it, it's extremely efficient i i agree with kyle on treating the seed and i think that's an awesome idea i like the fact of putting living biology that i can see under a microscope in furrow on my seed but also on the soil because it is direct contact with it so if there's any living fungi living bacteria any good living organisms they've got a home right there like yeah. we're putting them right there so they can reproduce so they can yeah. eat so they can that so that's my opinion that's why i like liquid in furrow and i got liquid in furrow on the seed and on the planter anyways i can put my fertilizer out the back of the planter and i mean this year we pumped just under a thousand acres through that planter with a double liquid system 
running biological inferral, and then our fertility out the back. So it can be done. It can be scaled up. I just got 12-row planter. I mean, a guy can do this with a 20-row planter pretty easy. It just you need a second guy, you know. I tried doing it all myself. It's a lot of work by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it just takes so much time. I mean, we're we're, we're I, I I pull into the farm and I'm looking at a 5,000 gallon tanker behind a semi, and it's going to take uh, 20 hours to extract enough in there to get to get me to go spray 300 acres, you know, and then you get, you come back and do it again. So um, I love the seed treat idea. Cause I think that's truly how you take it to scale. And, and, and everything's right there when those new roots are coming out and the radical and everything, it's right there ready to take up. So I totally agree. Michael, what do you think? I like that the guys put the synthetic fertilizer if they need to start a fertilizer to buy instead of putting it in furrow, not yeah. down the biology, which is also important. I mean, when it's wet and cold and you need to jumpstart the system, what can you do? And you cannot wait till it's warm enough to plant your corn, although they do wait till it's warm enough, but still. Keeping synthetic separate from biology, keeping biology in furrow and synthetic to buy also helps. Yeah. So... For me, I guess I'm I'm new enough to the whole biology application thing that I've I don't even have a, a, a whole year under my belt at this point. Uh, that being said, I did put compost and extract in furrow on everything that we planted, um, and that was all done with an IBC tote extractor, just with you know the top cut off of the tote. Um, I was able to make 80 acres at a time per batch and then I had to clean it out and then make another one and yada, yada, yada. It kind of worked out where I was able to make an extract and let it sit and then go mix up some other stuff that I was going to then mix the extract with when I was done with it. And then it all kind of worked out where I was able to, you know, have a workflow where I was working the whole time, but like I wasn't the one running the planter tractor either. So I had someone else running the planter tractor. Yeah. And then I was just mixing the whole time. So I was pretty much full, full-time mix boy and tender boy, you know, for planting season. But that was fine with me. I'd rather do that than sit in a tractor myself. I've done yeah. enough of that. I'm I'm not that old, but I've done enough of that that I, I don't mind not doing it. Um, you don't need any yeah, more practice? So that's where, what's that? You don't need any more practice? No, I don't. Not really. Not really. So, but, you know, that's that was something I was able to do, you know, with, very little, very little cost, you know, yeah. I, what, so what I would do was take an open top tote, put like 150, 160 pounds of compost in the bottom of it, dry compost. And then I'd have a full tote, uh, that I just put water in and treated the water, just the pH down to like six and a half. And then hooked up a two inch Harbor Freight trash pump to that and then pumped the water from the full tote into the tote with the top cut off and the compost in it and just use that as like a big fire hose to mix everything up. That way I wasn't running the biology through the pump. I was running the fresh water through the pump yeah. and then smashing it into the biology and getting it all stirred up. And then I'd kind of stir that like what Kyle was talking about. You could use a rake or you could use a shovel or whatever, mix, mix it up and then filter it off. And then I'd let it settle out and filter off again and, and whatnot. Um, I was able to do less filtering when I was running it through the planter because I didn't need it as fine of a screen. But if I was running it through the sprayer, I would try and let it settle out and filter stuff out a little bit better just because I didn't want to deal with the plugged up sprayer. 
um, especially not in the middle of the night. So, anyways, I I don't know. I I like having the compost extract in furrow. I I would like to do do it on the seed, like what they're talking about. I'm not set up to do that at this point, but I should probably focus on trying to get set up to do that ahead of next year. Um, what's that look like? I don't know exactly yet. I have some ideas, but yeah. Um, I just don't mind from. What's that? I just don't mind from one pro box to another. I just don't mind yeah. from one pro box yeah. to another to mix it. Yeah. That's Back where, and yeah, forth. You get a, just get a box-to-box -box treater of some sort, and I think you could make something work on it. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I I try and focus as much on the complete nutritional package as much as anything. You know, I feel like that probably is going to be uh, more important with the planter than – than you know compost extract and furrow but anyways like compared to what i did this last year maybe if i get better at it but i try and i try and get you know plenty of plenty of sulfur plenty of boron i want to get some potassium in there and then you know like on corn i've got some 32 in there as well and that's all buffered with humic acid so i try and keep my ph high so that way my humic doesn't fall out um so yeah Getting a pH meter, if you're going to be mixing a bunch of stuff together, especially if you're working with humic, you better get a pH meter or else you're going to have a bad time plugging filters and whatnot. Right. Um, but that's what I try and focus on is like three three years ago, even we were putting liquid on with our planner and it was just straight UAN and ATS, just raw, you know. And that kind of makes me shudder thinking about that now. You know, it needs to be buffered and then we need boron awesome. and we need calcium and yeah, we need, you know, there's a lot of salt there. And so since we started putting humic with the nitrogen, especially, and then also trying to make a more complete nutritional package, I've seen a big turnaround in, in the way some of our crops have been looking, especially through stress periods. So yeah. that's, you know, that's what it's all about is getting your crop through a stress period without having it get real stressed. That's, that's a big deal, especially in a year like what we've had the last two. So. Yeah. Michael, can you talk about your jar test? How you make sure that nothing gets cooked up beforehand? Yeah, I've only done a couple of them, but it's good. It's a good thing to do. Sometimes I I've been uh, I've been operating operating under the the liability clause that it's better to be lucky than good. Um, but I've kind of started trying to do a little bit more homework on it. And, you know, making sure that I do do jar tests in proportions of what I'm going to be throwing in there um, to make sure it's going to work. But the best, the best way to do that is just start mixing, like take one ingredient and mix it straight with another and see what happens. You know, yeah. that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily going to be the concentrations that you're going to have in your final mix, but you can, you can see what turns into sludge and what doesn't, I guess. And then see what plays nice with it raw and then if it gets diluted and whatnot it's probably going to still play nice yeah. and then you can start figuring out combinations of stuff so i did that's kind of what i did and what i found was the fish product that i had did not play nice with really anything um so i i pulled it out and then saved it till the very end of the season and ran it ran it foliar on some soybeans like real late Later, late. I, I thought it was late enough that I probably shouldn't be doing anything, but I think uh, it worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, All right. that's something to definitely keep in mind. Start mixing 20 things together. Well, 
it's kind of <laughs> like it's kind of like the jar test when you're still using chemistry, right? They always recommend you put put stuff together and yeah. Does anybody do that though? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I usually not, don't. I'm not but... in that world anymore, so I don't know. I know. I know. Um, Steve Steve Hoffman's got uh, a question. Is there a commercial biological product to use? We have no way to make our own compost tea. That's a, happy, right? Huh? But I've used uh, yeah some product from Dan Rasher with Fed and Happy. He's, he's got pretty decent product. The coarse stuff I like. Uh, that's a say it again, Ryan. What is it? It's uh vermicompost from uh, Dan Rasher has it with Fed and Happy. That's okay. a pretty good product that I use. That ha had pretty good luck with it. At least looks like it so far. We haven't harvested anything yet, but that's a very affordable product. Um, I've used. Um, I'm actually making. He sells the extract. Compost. Yeah, I think he sells the extract or the Hiawassee extractors. He's also a dealer for okay. them as well. You know, um, I've got a thought for you guys. I just, I, I, I like. I come up with these ideas. I don't know if they're going to work or not. What do you think about if we, um, if we put our insecticide boxes back on? Which I can't hate to even say that word. But if we put our insecticide boxes back on and put the actual uh, vermicompost in them and then uh, T-banded that on, on as you're planting corn, that, isn't that the end of the, end of the question? There's no, there's no compost tea. There's no uh, extraction. There's nothing. You're putting the actual raw product out there right over the top of the seed. That is actually great. A bunch of people who plant small seeds like um, canola, camelina, they mix it with um, uh, with vermicompost or with millipede compost, which had um, fat and happy both, um, just to to be able to distribute the seed better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you could do the same if you could get biochar down to that precise of an application. You could just put put it on the same way. Um, I'm biochar because uncharged biochar just straight up biochar look at it it's it's a sorbent right it's used for bioremediation it it tries to absorb everything that it's fine that it finds around it so the test was that have been mixed when there is excess of something in the soil for example toxic level of molybdenum biochar really helps sequester it and it helps the whole system but if you have the system without um, toxic excesses uh, straight up biochar may not be very beneficial unless you charge it by mixing with manure, but you don't apply manure or with um, with something else, with some other biology. But vermicompost or um, something like um, uh, calcium silicate, if you need to, if you want to, um, you can run through that. Um, what else? I wouldn't run sugar. It will make a sticky mask. But yeah, so gypsum, a little bit of gypsum if you yeah. need to. I, don't think I was do. told if you're going to run like a dry compost out, just sprinkling a little bit behind the row is not going to be enough. That's where I was told it takes a thousand pounds of composted compost per acre to equal what we can do in a liquid form at two pounds per acre. Really? Wow. Because we're washing the microbes off into a liquid form and putting it out there so it can proliferate or, you know, reproduce. Whereas, if you do it dry, it takes a lot more, and you got to get an even spread over everything. Yeah, that's what I've been told. So that's I'm just regurgitating what I was told. 
Yeah, that's you don't see guys go out there and put four pounds of compost per acre out there, do you? How are you going to apply four pounds compost per acre? Yeah. Yeah. But in a liquid form, you can take 60 pounds and make a liquid, and it looks like muddy water, and you can put it in oil at the rate of two pounds per acre. Yeah, that's that's what Dr. Johnson did, you know, two pounds per acre, Dr. David Johnson, and had results with it. Yeah, that's a good point, Ryan. I was just, you know, I'm just thinking that once it rains and whatnot, it all go it'll go right down into the soil profile. And I was just, you know, just trying to think of different different ways to try something. It may. Well, I'd say it's sure, it's sure better than doing nothing if you don't have if you don't have the ability to scale that up. To me, that's yeah. that's way better than doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that nobody has talked about here yet is. And you've, you've talked about pH of the water, but what about the quality of water? What kind of water are you guys using? Kyle, I want to start with you. Are you using RO water? Have you got your own? If you got a well that's good enough, it passes it passes grade. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, I got well water. Um, trying to invest in an RO system. And How important uh, is that? How important is that? Well, that's what I figured out this year. That was kind of like, my biggest highlight where I got the bricks to jump, I don't know, five points, I can't remember. And it was the hardness of my well water that I finally figured out that I had to overcome. Yeah. So, th so this is another topic. It's like people sell these nutrient packages like, hey, go spray this as a foliar. They don't know what the hardness of your water is. So how do they know if it's going to overcome or get tied up right away? Yep. You know, and so... My deficiency was iron on my soybeans is what I was uh, battling. So I did uh, equivalent to one pound of iron sulfate and a, just a one gallon pump sprayer. And then I did 1.5 pounds and then I did two pounds and maybe 2.5. I can't remember, but it took me all the way to the high level of spraying it. And I, you know, I, did a few rows here at one point or one pound, 1.5 to 2.5. And then I went and checked um, with my bricks reader an hour later. And it took, I think it was the two pounds equivalent per acre um, to offset or overcome the hardness of my water to actually be available for my plant. So it's like, I didn't, I didn't test that last year. I was more just mixing everything in because my sap test said I was low on it, but I wasn't getting my bricks jump that I wanted. My sap test, it was moving a little bit, but not exactly what I wanted it to be. Right. So it kind of stinks with my sprayer break, break in and tearing my ACL this year that I wasn't able to get a lot of practice. But that right there, that was my goal this year was to increase my bricks and figure out exactly how to do it because I was struggling with it a lot last year. Yeah. Um, so there, um, the importance of an RO system to where maybe you don't have to go through that learning curve of figuring out how much of a nutrient water. Um, I think that'd yeah. be very valuable. Yeah. So obviously everyone needs to get your, your water supply tested um do you guys have on your website somewhere uh or your your uh, facebook page somewhere like a, a chart of what were your what your water levels to be do you have that on there somewhere 
you want less than 50 parts per million um, for everything to work um, ideally. Um, sometimes rainwater can be more because you know it gets the stuff off the roof. Um, but if you let it settle and aspirate it from um, from the top, it's uh, usually fine. Unless um, you know there was decumba in a cloud and it rained on and you got it in rainwater. So there's that too. Because sometimes um, you make a Jadam microbial solution, which is um, the leaf mold grew from um, a tree nearby in rainwater and it works just perfectly. And um, uh, a week later you do it and it doesn't work at all. And then you find out that your neighbor's spraying the gumbo that the, the season started and it's probably yeah. in your rainwater. Yeah. So I would say rainwater, but you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, what are you doing on your operation for, for water quality? You're you're on mute, Ryan. There you Sorry go. Sorry about that. There you go. Uh, so um, we're just using our well water, but yeah, we've been kind of fighting trying to get our bricks to really jump much. Uh, we've been seeing some bricks increase, but not much. And then after talking to some guys and saying, well, you need to use RO water to strip the minerals out to get the best benefit, you know? And um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I think where we're going next year is either a soft water softener or RO water. And I know water softener is going to put salt in it, but I know I'm trying to weigh out my cost on it because an RO system is not cheap. Mm -hmm. And we've been, just been, our water is perfect. It's just hard. So we got to add citric acid, you know, and um, um, what else to it just to get it to drop our pH. Um, but yeah, I've been using just regular well water, but I can tell like even on my chemical programs, I do use some spray chemicals. We're just not getting the results with it. And I think our water supply is part of it. So right. we do need to do something different with our water for next year. That's on the plan. Yeah, totally agree. Michael, what about you? I'm not a lot different from the other guys on here where I just use well water for right now. Um, I would like to get set up RO at some point, but it's, you know, just hasn't got to the top of the list yet. So yeah. I try and I try and treat everything uh, like with citric acid if I'm trying to get the pH down. I, I've played around a little bit with acetic acid, um, make make acetates out of the calcium and magnesium that's making my water hard uh acetates are good for that type of stuff and in, in my head anyways um so yeah that's kind of you know it's something that i need to get on my higher up on my priority list list at some point but ro i think if you can swing an ro system go for it yeah um, and, and Vance, what about you in Nebraska? You got good water there or what kind of water? Well, I thought so, but I have a black truck and I parked it near the garden and got watered overnight and it turned it white. So <laughs> it definitely got an issue. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I'm the same. Uh, Luda, all summer I've been blaming or accusing Luda of being a RO system salesperson because she keeps telling me I need it. And, and I'm uh -huh. same, same boat with these guys. I need to do something about it. But yeah, we have hard water. So, well, but, Kyle figured out, and it, it's an definitely an issue. We're still using. Promised to build an aerobic system for everyone, right, Kyle? So Kyle will set an aerobic system. I'm just joking, but yeah, you can build your own. Well, 
but isn't it amazing though? I mean, you you sit down and you you guys are very knowledgeable on ratios and relationships, and and it all comes down to maybe uh, not being as effective as you wanted because the quality of the water you have is tying up certain nutrients. Uh, that's that that's got that would be frustrating. So, and again, you know, it goes back to that. I always preach if you're going to, if you've never tried cover crops, you, the first time you try it, it's got to be something that works or you won't come back. Same thing here. If you're going to try a, a biological package, it better work uh, or at least meet your expectations of what you thought it should be or you won't come back probably. Right. The easiest one is rainwater before the decumber season. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, yes, just a cheap, small RO system just for foliars. Even with um, with uh, biocide, use you can get away with using um, a quarter or a third of of what of the recommended norm, and still have um, effective um, effective dose if you use it in in clean water, clean enough water, less than fifty ppm. And if you use it at optimal pH, which is also very important. Yeah. Um, Graham Sage from New Zealand. Oh, now from Australia, um, has a wonderful spreadsheet with all the different agrochemicals and optimal pHs at which they have the longest half-life. So if anyone emails him, he will email it back to you right away without any questions asked. Yeah. And it helps drop the rate of, for example, glyphosate. So in um, RO water, um, pH 2.7, people get away with using uh, five ounces per acre and getting complete control. Mm. It would be great to not use it at all, but sometimes it's not an option. So, you know, it's great when you can greatly decrease the, the rate by using RO water on optimal pH and adding a little bit of fulvic, which uh, is soluble at that pH and a little bit of sugar and a little bit of uh, fish too, which helps when it's a little dry because it stimulates plants to grow with brevins and other things. So when weeds grow, they take in um, glyphosate better. It sort of, you know, tricks them. Yeah. So, so Luda, let me ask you a question. If you were still in a uh, chemistry program and you were going to go out and apply some chemistry, would you add fulvic acid or or something to those loads to protect the biology that you do have? There are a bunch of studies that show that fulvic has some... Um... Uh, three modes of action. First, it's so delicious for the phylosphere, both plant and biology, on the surface of the plant that anything um, um, associated with it and it's um, it likes to complex everything around it, regulate everything around it, gets taken into the plants at much higher rate. Um, the difference is um, foliar applied uh, biocides and nutrients that taken in within an hour with 36 hours, uh, adding just um, um, a few ounces of fulvic per, uh, per acre. The second thing, it works on um, a biochemical pathways, for example, shikimate pathway that is implicated in glyphosate resistance. So it helps to calm it down and helps overcome the, the glyphosate resistance in some cases. 
And the third yeah. way, it um, helps proliferate the biosphere biology to bioremediate the biocide later on. I'm sure there are other models, I think, but those are well-known. So there is a handful of studies that show that when fulvic is added to glyphosate, for example, um, its metabolites get bioremediated much faster. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, so if if someone is in a a I don't know a full tillage system full full chemistry whatever you want to call it and they I'm going to start with you Kyle on this and they they want to start to shift toward you know less inputs maybe no till um, this but this this what you guys are talking about is part of that system, right, Kyle? I mean, you need the help. That that system that I just described, leaving and coming toward, I don't know if you want to call it regenerative, whatever, needs this type of help. Yeah. I would say the first thing would be balance your chemistry, right? Get that soil breathing. Um, and you don't even have to use cover crops, but it would it would help. And then um start to transition more into like uh carbon inputs yep. so like your fish molasses kelps um the humix rock phosphate all that kind of stuff and then start to pull back on your synthetics try to get rid of the salts yep. um i you can still do tillage but like what vegeto said is you're just you're wrecking your house every single time that you do it yeah so i don't know just slowly pull a Band-Aid off, I guess. I, when I transitioned into organic what, four or five years ago, you know, I want cold turkey. And it probably wasn't the best way to do it. Right. It's difficult. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think when when uh, I'm not going to say there's no biology happening in those fields, there, there obviously is. But I think to help you get through that transition period is when you really need that jumpstart your system um, and get the get the the microbes uh, introduced at greater levels into your system. I I think that's when I think back of making the transition. That's what I wish I would have done was had this biology up front at that transition. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I've tried a lot of things. I've got vermicompost in the in the warehouse. I've got I've got a lot of stuff in there that I don't see a lot of change in our operation. Now, I don't know why. Maybe maybe you guys have got a thought. Uh, I need some help here, but I've tried a lot of products and I just don't see the the difference yet. Ryan, Ryan, what do you think? Um, putting the biology out there is one thing, like your vermicompost. Feeding the biology is the next step. Um, like I use the vermicompost and furrow, but like I dribble molasses and humic out the back of the planter. Like we got a, we got the biology we're putting out there. Now let's give it a food source. Is mm -hmm. there something for oil for it to eat? Oh yeah, there is. But let's get it ramped up. Let's get it producing faster. You know, sugars, molasses feeds your bacteria. Uh, fish hydrolysate, fish feeds the fungi. So let's put both out there. Those are our two main ones, are bacteria and fungi. Don't get me wrong, there's protozoa and arthropods and everything else, you know. Mm -hmm. But let's feed them. 
I, I, I use a lot of molasses, um, hurricane molasses. No, no. What do you mean? But you got to give us specifics, a quart to the acre, a gallon to the acre. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. So I'm usually running like two pounds per acre. Two pounds. Like with the finder. So, you know, when you think about it, you got like less than a dollar a pound in it, mm -hmm. but you don't have a lot in it. And, you know, just a couple pounds per acre is all it takes just to get it going. Now, if you're going to Y drop, or if you're going to, I mean, you can run a quart per acre. It ain't going to hurt nothing if you're dribbling it out the back. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to Y drop or do any foliar, you know, you can Y drop a gallon, <coughs> whatever. Um, when it comes to humate, like a 12% humic acid, you know, it feeds your biology. It's a carbon source. You know, um, I put it with my nitrogen and it just neutralizes the smell. It, it binds to the, to the ammonia, it neutralizes the salts. Like, I love it as a carbon source. My nitrogen along with molasses, and, you know, put a quarter of that per acre. And that's still cheap too. You know, you got a couple bucks in it. It doesn't cost much. And like we got corn this year that's got hog manure on it last fall and 45 pounds of N. That's it. I pulled soil test at B5 to see if I was going to side dress. I had 150 some pounds of nitrogen out there yet. And I only put 45 down. Yeah. We never put any extra nitrogen in our corn. And we're going to have, we're, we're dry. I was shooting for 300 bushel corn. That was my yield. I, I still like bushels. I like talking about bushels. Neighbors like talking about bushels. I still like to grow a lot of bushels, you know, but I want to do it with a, as little of input cost as I possibly can. Sure. So I'm probably soil tested. You know, we're putting the microbes out there in the molasses to feed them and the fungi and the fish to feed the fungi. And our nitrogen levels are going up and we're going to have corn that is going to be in the mid 200s in spots, you know, I'm pulling some beautiful looking ears and that's on naked, untreated seed. That was naked seed, with no treatment on it. Yeah. You know, like it shouldn't it be happening be according to what everybody tells me, you know, but man, let's feed it. If you're going to put the biology out there, that's one thing. Cool. But now let's give it something to eat, let's make it work. Let's, you know. So, so basically Ryan, you're, you're, it sounds like you're doing some, some, some level of molasses and whatever whatever you're doing. If you're going out with the seed treatment, you got molasses there. If you're doing an infero, you got molasses, right? Yeah, I don't put molasses on a seed treatment because that'll probably make it sticky. But I'll put it in furrow or I'll dribble it beside the row. We'll okay. fly drop. I usually do at least one foliar application with it in, at least one. Um, I like putting molasses out there. It's got a lot of micronutrients in it. And I'm Molasses is not going to be your entire micronutrient pack if you're a conventional farmer. If you're like, I'm going to put micronutrients out there and molasses is going to be the only thing. It's probably not going to have enough, but it does have some, you know, we're talking parts per million. It's yeah. got something in it. Yeah. You know, a plant doesn't need five pounds of copper. It needs a few parts per million, you know? Yeah. So it, I like it. It's super cheap. It's safe to handle. It smells good and it feeds my biology, you know? And I think you're gonna have to check on this, but I think you can get organic molasses. Yeah, I've I've got I'm I'm using some molasses. I've got a couple totes of it. Um, have you ever stuck your finger in it and then you know tasted it? Yeah, it doesn't taste as good as brown sugar. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta taste it. It smells good. I gotta taste it. Yeah. Hey, the 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 microbes in your gut are like the the what's going on out in that field. So yeah, become right. become part of mother mother earth. That's yeah. right.
Hey, hey, Michael, did uh, did they win the ball game? <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know. I I never <laughs> I never got a score update. There was a lot of touchdowns, so yeah. <laughs> not a lot of defense. I don't think tonight. That's okay. Well, <laughs> folks, we know it's dark and uh, the sun has gone down in Iowa because Michael is uh, is far Lights out, out. In left field somewhere. Yep, <laughs> yep. There's the moon. That's where I think I don't know Michael real well, but I think he he spends a lot of time out in left field. I think so. <laughs> yeah, you, you got that right. So I I got one for you here, Rick. Yeah. Uh, if, if you can imagine, if you can imagine that. Um. All right. So reading, reading, uh, and listening to some stuff that Gary Zimmer's put out. Um, when you when you talk about some of this stuff, kind of like pulling it all together. Yeah. Uh, he, he talks about how calcium is the trucker of all minerals, boron is the steering wheel, silica is the road, and sulfur is the key switch. Mm-hmm. And when you think about some of that stuff, it kind of makes sense with, um, you know, calcium. Calcium is a big part of building, you know, cell walls and the structures of all of that. And silica is as well. Uh, and so those are two huge parts of it. And then boron being very important for a number of things, but like, uh, when the plants feed their exudates back into the soil, there's like the trap door there that has to open up and boron is the thing that helps to open up that trap door to feed the biology. So that's a big deal. And then you look at what sulfur is a part of like all of the amino acids and whatnot. Well, guess what? That's like super important in building a healthy plant and so you know that's those those minerals are definitely things that i've tried to focus a lot more on and you know that there's just not a lot of focus on that stuff in a conventional nutrition program you know you got your npk why do you need anything else and then lime for lime to ph well i already i already told you how i felt about liming to ph because it doesn't really work Um, we got other stuff going on so anyways those are those are some things that i've kind of focused on trying to get get addressed because i know that boron levels are crazy low around here um mitchell's mitchell helped kind of figure some of that stuff out uh yeah so calcium boron sulfur and i mean if we can get silica out there some way that's something i've been trying to figure out what to do and uh different ways to do it but i know there's a pile of silica in the soil but we need the biology to get that stuff available so yeah Yeah. anyways that's some rambling for you that you didn't really ask for but no that's okay that's okay that's what this is that's what this is all about um and i just want to interject something here i mean and then we're we're probably gonna have to try to wrap this up i think we're going into two hours um now folks um Kyle is organic on here. I think everyone else is not. So you got to understand here that you, we have to go out. If we're organic, we have to source products that are, are OMRI approved. And we also, I always check with every product that, that I'm considering using. I double check with the certifying agency. Do you approve this in, in our operation? Because you don't want to have happen what, what Kyle had happen. So uh, always remember to check the label, make sure you get a certificate, 
Some of these products are hard to source now. Everything they've talked about is hard. Some of this stuff's hard to source in an organic mode, like boron. Uh, that stuff can, can be difficult. So um, just keep all that in mind. Please do not jeopardize your hard-earned time and labor to get to become organic and then, and then get kicked out because you tried some product that wasn't approved. So just be careful. Um, get Solubor. It's Omri. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Boron, there, bor, boron's an interesting one. I didn't think there was a synthetic form of boron. It's all mined product from what I understand. Maybe boric acid stuff. I don't know as much about that. Yeah. But I know like, I know solubor is a mined product. So it's Omri approved. But it anyway. is Omri? Okay. Yeah. It says right. it on the bag. I've dumped like 800 bags this year. Believe me. I've seen it. <laughs> Okay. So. All right. Well, and, and, you know, do you, again, you guys, have you got on, on your, your Facebook page, do you have like, like Kyle, do you have your recipes on there? And Ryan, do you have your recipes and, and, and Michael, you know, Hey, I just, I'm going to use soluble. Okay. Where are you sourcing it from? Is, can people find all this stuff out like that? We're trying not to advertise specific products also because, as you said, there are people from all over the world, so it might not be applicable to them. But yeah, there are plenty of recipes and earlier posts and in group files. If you just search by boron, you'll find uh, a ton. And then you can ask, you know, where do you guys get this stuff in Kansas or in Missouri that somebody will chime in. So, usually. Yeah. Okay. And we got, we got Brian on. Brian, how you doing? Um, Good to point out that folks sh uh, should avoid molasses with preservative in it if they are using biologicals with it. So right. This is a big one because a lot of non-organic molasses comes with propionic acid. And when Michael Viteta tried to make um, super magro style bioferment uh, with um, using this molasses as an energy source um, to propagate um, biology from um, his uh, grass-fed um, um, cows in this bioferment to be able to spread it to more acres. Um, it didn't go well because the propionic acid pretty much sterilized mm. um, the whole thing. So yeah, Brian, it's a very good point, Brian, yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you, Brian, excellent. Well, let's, um, let's, let's head this thing toward home. Um, Kyle, give us give us some closing comments. I mean, you know, what I, I guess I want I want I want you guys to answer one question, one more question for me, if you would, and then take give us your closing comments. Here's the question, um, Kyle: Have you reduced inputs on your farm, and if so, by how much? And do you and how much further do you want to go? I know that's like three questions, but I'm trying to I'm trying to get to the audience here that. Um, by using these methods, we can start to pull away. So, so what, what's, what's your answer? Okay. Um, yeah, I used to be 180, 200 pounds of N anhydrous and pretty much cold Turkey cut everything. Um, and then I went all the way to the bottom and I'm slowly working up. Right. And using the sap testing to figure out what's tying up with, other nutrients and what's uh limiting from maybe moving it through the profile of the plant uh slowly getting back up um 
and then addressing it in the soil. Uh, this year I have two huge windrows of uh, cattle manure that I've put uh, biochar in, um, mm. some diatomaceous earth for the silica. I've done rock dust. Um, last year I used some rock phosphate. Um, I think the only um, synthetic input that I'm using this year was a little bit of 32%. Everything else is more on the carbon-based. Yeah. See, but you buffered it with humic, correct? The What's 32? that, Luda? You buffered 32 with humic, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. humic and sugar. and. Yeah. Um, I, I don't use molasses yet um, just because I haven't found a good source. I've been using brown sugar. Mm -hmm. So, um, on the organic acres, I can't use 32%. Um, I've been using chicken manure and then the fish. Yeah. I used to make my own fish. Um, I would do it in IBC totes. Um, I would go over to the river between right on the Illinois side and just go get truckloads of, uh, fish and then mm -hmm. put them in the IBC totes and ferment them for a year. And my cost per gallon was... I think it was about seven dollars a gallon five to seven and it was just it was too much work and so i've sourced it overseas now and it comes in a powder form um and it's omri certified so i yeah. think i got that price below that so that's a lot cheaper for me so kyle you basic i mean you're you've your input zero it's pretty much z when i'm talking synthetic fertilizers yes besides 32%. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Ryan, it, you're, I used you're... to, I used to have to use more 32% because I was planting my corn into rye because that's about the only thing I could really get to overwinter. Um, this year I kind of transitioned to not planting corn into rye. I just yeah. did uh, spring seeded oats and then yeah. planted it between the rows of that lower the seed. And it just doesn't take off so aggressive in the springtime. And then yeah. I'm not having to pay to offset that nitrogen tie-up by putting more right. nitrogen out there. So I was able to cut costs a little bit that way and prime the microbes with the oats and get early sugar production going. Yeah, oats and corn, they play pretty well together. So, yeah, that's that's great. See, and that's the type of stuff, I mean, that... I just love so much about what we all do because we're all very open with, with what we're doing and we're trying to help others and teach others. And you just gave three or four excellent points there that I hope everyone caught. Um, so great job, Kyle. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Ryan, what you're up, what uh, are you, are you pulling back on inputs? If so, how far do you think you can take it? Well, we haven't bought any P and K in quite a few years just because we've got my livestock manure. Um, the only inputs I've been buying would be synthetics would be 32% and thiosulfate. Okay. Um, we're down under 0.7 pounds of N per bushel. Um, some way less than that, some right at that. But I'm trying to throttle back. I'd like to get under 0.5 pounds of N per bushel. Yep. Um so that's kind of where we're at with that, um, kind of pushing the calcium stuff, um, you know, and, and cover crops, multi-species, a lot of multi-species I'm putting out um, and whatnot. Uh, as for, like, the biological side of stuff, I mean, 
if guys are looking at this and they want to scale it up on their farm or try some, you know, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there. Look it up. You know, there's a lot of videos. I got a channel now, Gibbsfield Farms. I just mm. got one on there in my vermicompost system, so people can actually see that. And there's going to be videos coming here in the next couple of weeks on how we extract it, how we use it on farm scale. You know, it's, it's simple to do. It's just a lot easier to watch it on a video sometimes. But there's a lot of other videos out there, too. Jay Young's got some awesome videos. Um, yeah, we're, we're diving into the biology side of it. It's, it's really not that hard. Using a lot of humic acid, uh, humates, fulvic acid to be more effective with the products we are using. Um, yeah, that's kind of where we're going. And my, my goal here eventually is to, I don't know if I'd say eliminate synthetics, but extremely reduce them. I'd like to go organic. It's nice having that chemical in my back pocket. I mean, I can grow yeah. buckwheat, I can grow cereal rye without any chemicals at all. Kind of awesome, yeah. you know. So I'd like to get there, and you know, if I can get it figured out, and you know, I got guys like that are here to ask questions to. It's great, you know. We learn yeah. it from each other, and so I try to do that same thing. You know, anybody who calls or texts or messages me, I try to get back to them and at least give them some of my time. I got an earpiece, so I can talk at least twenty hours a day. So with enough caffeine, you can do anything. Yeah. Well. Ryan, type your uh, type your YouTube page or your YouTube link in there to, so they can see it. Um, I'll do that. Michael, what um, what do you think? Uh, how far have you pulled back on synthetics, and and how far do you want to go? So for us, the biggest thing we've cut back on is our herbicide use uh, and insecticide and fungicides, so just pesticides in general at this point, but. We started, we started pulling stuff back with herbicide. Um, I think it, a lot of it had to do with using cover crops. Like we were able to eliminate a lot of herbicide in our sweeping year by leveraging the weed controllability of cereal rye. Um, yep. And so, you know, that cut out all of our pre and all of our residuals post. So um you know that's that's been a big deal and then we've been able to do a very similar thing on corn so yeah our chemical chemical use on herbicide is depending on the field anywhere from 70 percent to 50 percent reduction in what we were using previously uh and then the last two years we really haven't we really haven't used much as far as uh fungicide and insecticide goes i did spray some fungicide on some soybeans that a little bit of downy mildew coming in and they're not beans and I'm like I'm gonna go ahead and spray it um um and then we haven't sprayed fungicide on corn the last two years so yeah I I really like where things are going on that front um cutting back on seed treatments as far as chemical seed treatments go um a lot of soybean seed treated seed and whatnot um and I, I like to plant my beans in april like fairly early before we plant corn so it's kind of like a safety blanket for me at this point but we did do a couple boxes of naked beans this year um so yeah we'll see we'll see how those do they were planted april 14th so naked beans early, that should be, you know, a good, a good situation for the seed treatment to pay for itself if it's going to. 
Um, but yeah, my goal is that some of this infero compost extract and nutrition that we're putting down is going to, is going to help with that. Um, so yeah, that's, those are the kind of the things that are on my target list. Um, we don't use a ton of synthetic fertilizer. Like we don't really put down much as far as a dry P and K spread because we've kind of like Ryan, we've got a lot of livestock manure around here, um, which is a really good source of nutrition. You know, it's organic source and whatnot. Uh, we, we do have some fields though, that they've had manure applied on them, you know, every other year for over 30 years. So yeah. you start, you start getting that far down the road, you know, we're, we're seeing some high dig into is just like when we, when we utilize a very complex nutrition source like that, uh, what, you know, what kind of imbalances are we going to get to the, to the high side and, and what can we do to fix that? And I, and I think that's what things like humix are really good at is, is grabbing, grabbing some of those imbalances and and trying to, you know, bring them, bring them back into where we need them to be. So anyways, yeah, there's that for you. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Michael. Vance, what uh, what do you think about uh, uh, synthetic uh, fertilizer reduction and how far do you think you can take it? So I've gone, I'm same, same as Ryan said, I'm pretty much just, just applying nitrogen. Um, <clears throat> but even with it, I've reduced it by, you know, putting humix with it. Um, and... Uh, I uh, use back to your previous question about the water and stuff. I use fish hydrolysate with all my chemistry when I spray and mm. it seems to really help. I get a better kill. I've just put it in the place of crop oil. I mean, mm. it just, it just really seems to help. And uh, so I use a lot of fish hydrolysate and, but um, you know, the, the asides are pretty much gone away uh, other than the herbicides, but I've, I've cut those quite a bit. Forced myself into that some by, by planting on GMO corn. I mean, I still I'll burn down a I'll burn down a cover crop, but then once corn comes up, you're pretty well forced into no more roundups. Yeah, and and you know, if you can reduce your 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 glyphosate use, your 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 need for fungicide kind of goes away, and even insecticides. It it just the plant health just. I'm old enough to remember farming before we had all that stuff, and I remember the first gray leaf spot I saw, and it was in Roundup Ready corn. I mean, there's there's a correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So um, I forgot. I want Lou to hang on just a second. I'll get to you here to finish this up. But I got I, there was one more thing I wanted to ask, and I forgot. Kyle, I'm going to start with you. What generation farmer are you, Kyle, on your farm? Uh, I think it's sixth generation. Six, Ryan. Yep, you're on mute. Mute, Ryan. On the farm I live on, I am the second generation farm, but all my grandpas before me farmed and my dad just kind of took it over, but he moved to his own farm. So on this farm, second, but. You're probably what, sixth or seventh then? Yeah, probably somewhere in there. They all farmed. They all dairy farmed. That's awesome. Michael? Kind of similar to Ryan where uh, I'd be third on the farm that we're on right now, Uh, but yeah, I'm. I believe all of my grandpas before that formed as well back Perfect. in the day. So yeah, yeah. Vance, I'm fifth generation here. 
took a little longer to get out west with the wagon technology, but yeah, the, yeah I'm, I'm fifth generation and my boys are farming here. And so we got six and seven coming on. Awesome. That's like us here. I'm fifth and then uh, uh, daughters are sixth and grandchildren are seventh. So I just want people to understand that the heritage involved and, and guys, I, 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 I can safely say that all your ancestors are smiling. They're proud of everything you guys are doing. Um, it's awesome. So uh, keep up the good work. Um, Luda, take us, take us home here. Um, you've got quite a group of, of, of guys here and there's even more that aren't on this podcast, but um, uh, you should be proud. And, and, you know, what, 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 what's the one thing we should, we should all take home tonight. What do you think? I think the greatest thing that guys have with each other, this community, is, um, they talk every day with one another and they talk every day to other people, uh, probably dozens of other people every day. Yeah. In uh, our little admin chat every day, in the Biofords, um, uh, uh, farm-made Biofords Facebook community every day, in the Snap uh, chat group, uh, in, in other groups. And I think it's great that they... They keep each other, um, they support each other, but they also keep each other real <laughs> what to expect and what goes wrong and they troubleshoot. Um, and I think this community that we've built on a Facebook group and this micro communities that uh, guys form in, in the areas of, um, around, I think that's that's the greatest thing that we've got. And I wish, I wish Vance <laughs> talked more about how he removed uh, two herbicide pests by um, planting green into his hailed out corn and then um, milo-based uh, frost-sensitive cover crop was like lots of other things and then planted green his winter weeds into that uh, cover crop was um, what it is like a quarter inch of rain since um, uh, early July and that's all they got he got and he planted his um, wit, uh, winter wit entered and it formed beautiful rises just yeah. to show that um, diversity can overcome drought and he saved yeah. two herbicide passes and how Kyle yesterday planted green into his buckwheats which suppressed weeds which cycle nutrients for him how um, Ryan, what Ryan does with his buckwheat and rye also and keeps the herbicide best and the same thing with Michael how was his relays his beautiful relays, like the most beautiful story for another guy I've, <laughs> but, seen, I've seen um, Michael's fields firsthand. they are, his yeah. relay crops are nice. Yes, yes and especially, you know, when all his neighbors are silaging their corn and beans and Michael's look green and as if there was no oh, and no drought and just so beautiful. They, they aren't chopping silage around here. That was the guys down in Kansas. But now this wasn't a very good year for relay beans. It helps when it rains for relays. We yeah. didn't get a lot of that this year, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But I think well, the greatest thing is the community. Yeah. Is that the guys have each other and that we talk every day and um, the bigger international community that we built on Facebook was farmed by herds. Uh, yeah. You know, there's there's people paying attention. There's people listening. There's people hungry for 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 what you guys are doing. So keep up the great work. I'm so glad you all came on the the program tonight. 
uh, it's been a blast. I really, I, I just love the the camaraderie, the the joking. Everything's, you know, everything's. You guys are laid back. Uh, Kyle, you've gone through way more trials and tribulations than any single person should have to do, and you're you're hanging in there. So, guys, thanks. You're an inspiration, and I've learned. I've got a whole page full of notes here. So, thank you so much. And thank you, uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. Yeah, hey, you're Rick, hey, Rick. Yeah. Uh, before you have us on for uh, part two someday, uh, <laughs> why don't you leave us with a question on what's a struggle on your farm that maybe we can talk about and come up with some ideas? A struggle on the farm? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll give you one. Um, we had a a, uh, a field of, uh, of corn. It was going to be actually a planted peas warm warm season peas so they went out there like on um may the second I, I don't quote me on the exact day but somewhere in that time period and we came then behind that with uh, untreated corn actually put a a seed or a biological coat on it vermicompost some some fulvic acid some other some other things i don't really remember what else molasses a little bit and we went out and the corn came up and and it, this stuff was beautiful, guys. It came up, got, got V3, V4, had roots on it that were six, seven inches long. And in about 10 days after that, the corn started to die. And I lost all of the corn in that field. It just died and absolutely disappeared. And I uh, had some people come in. They took some soil tests, took tissue tests. And they came up with fusarium was the problem. Now, I've never seen fusarium take a whole field. So we then came back and they, this is all organic. So we came back and uh, flail chopped the field down. The weeds were getting, getting bad at this point. And then we came back with milo or sorghum. Same thing. Sorghum came up, grew and died. And then I said, you know what? I've had enough. We're going to just call this field a regen field, and I'm going to come in in August, and we're going to plant a seven or eight-way cocktail of legumes and some other things to get ready for corn for next year. I'm in the field planting this cover crop on like August the 20th, okay? And I get out, and I'm digging down, and I'm trying to make sure my seed depth is what I want for this cover crop. And what do I come across? I come across this round looking seed. I'm like, what in the world is this? And I pick it up. It's a Milo plant. And it just now is germinating in August. And it was planted back in July, early July. So there you go, Kyle. What, what in the world went wrong with this field? And I have a pretty nice looking cover crop growing. So what happened? You see, I don't know. Opportunistic. It only becomes pathogenic when there isn't enough of a diversity and other fungi and bacteria and yeast and archaea and um, other good guys to crowd it out and keep it at bay and keep it from getting virulent. It needs to really be um, sort of alone to be able to take over, to turn on the virulence, to become. Mm. So um, that's why you had it with monoculture and you don't have it with your diverse cover crop because 
each seed that you bring bring its own microbiome and together this cocktail of various exudates wakes up the um, dormant biology in your soil that overwhelms the cesarium and um, crowds it out and keeps it at bay and keeps it from turning on the viral antigens. See, right there is another point that we need to get away from monocultures. We are trying like heck to get as many crops, to cash crops together as we can. So, Lou Myla, thank you. That's that's exactly what happened. It's amazing. Two over two and then a, a, a cocktail and it's thriving. So, thank you. I appreciate that. Kyle, I hope that was a, a good enough answer for you. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Hey, now, was that hey Rick? Hey Rick. Yeah. So, what'd you do after after you tore your corn out or after it died? We we went, but I tried Milo or sorghum. No, before that. What do you mean? You flail chopped your weeds. Oh right? yeah, flail chopped. Yes. So, what what were those weeds? Uh, what, what, what did they what did they represent i'm not sure what i'm not sure where you're headed tell me it it's it was your diverse cover crop the mm. weeds were you got yep. it for free yeah and see we got to go then beat our head against the wall to kill the weeds and then figure out that you just need to plant you know more than one thing right so anyways yeah. i'm being facetious here a little bit but i no, I, I do. No, you're not. I, I do some, because I do, I do some weird stuff like that, and I try and just pick up on clues from uh, what the system's trying to teach me as I'm watching it. So, no, you're not being facetious there because too many times weeds get a bad rap. I mean, uh, it's telling us something, and that weed is bringing value to the table. Believe me, I've I've yeah. gone out and tested lamb's quarter and you'd be shocked at the amount of nutrients a lamb's quarter pulls to the surface so no you're I've not being what my cows do to them they the cows love lamb's quarter yeah so yeah. i mean i mean water hemp if water hemp was chopped and and put into a silage bag at the right time it's tremendous cow feed you know yeah they oh. eat it oh yeah Can they you love it can you imagine the, the, the nutrient density in Palmer amaranth seed in these operations? Vance knows exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. I heard about um, Palmer amaranth silage with Vance. Yes, it, it would be way more nutritious than corn. And yeah. you can get yeah. more biomass. And um, with diversity, it can be drought resistant. And um, yeah. Yeah, much better forage and much better style. Yeah, but yeah, it just can't go, it can't be out of control. But I'm, yeah, I'm just making so, a point. Yeah. You need that, to graze it or hay it for silage before. Too, before. You'll have, many, your neighbors times, will love you tenderly. Yeah, too many times the, the weeds get a bad rap. I mean, I'm not saying you should let weeds just go crazy on your farm. That's not what I'm saying. But um, a few out there are okay. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, Allows you to kind of take advantage of weeds when they show up and let them teach you some stuff. So, yeah, it's yeah. cool. They yeah. indicate a species. They, yeah, they're very and, good. And <laughs> Ryan, put a, Ryan, put your book back up again. Put your book back up again. Weeds, weeds. Uh, when weeds talk, that's a good one, folks.
mother nature is telling you something that 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 it's 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 just there's something not in balance we we often talk about balance everything we've talked about tonight is trying to get to the right balance and that's what you got to do okay well thank you everyone have a great weekend and guys thanks this has been great we will have you back on again don't worry so right on thanks thanks everyone thank you thank you thank you thank you so much you bet bye-bye bye